All right, Luke chapter number 22, and uh, we're going to begin in verse number 47. This is a familiar passage, and we're going to be all over this chapter tonight, but I want to read just a few verses by way of introduction. It begins in verse number 47, and it says, And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? When they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? One of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. We know that was Peter cutting off the ear of a man named Malchus. It says, And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, Be ye come out against a thief with sword and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Verse 54, I want you to take note of. It says, Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, And Peter followed afar off. And I want you to notice that phrase that it says about Peter, that he followed afar off. And that's what I've titled the message tonight. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, my heart's desire is that you'd speak and move. God, I I don't have within me what it takes. Lord, I, I readily confess before these people that I am insufficient for the task. But, Lord, Your Holy Spirit that dwells within me and within every born-again believer, Lord, I I trust and I know that He has the ability to touch on hearts. He can do that which we can't. And, Lord, we know that without You, we can't do anything. But, Lord, we're trusting that You, through the power of Your Word and the Holy Spirit, can move on hearts, affect people in a way that we couldn't even imagine. Lord, I pray that You would point out sin in our lives tonight. Father, I pray that You would encourage us where we need to be encouraged Lord, if there is one here amongst us that's lost without Christ, I pray you convict them and show them their need of you. Lord, above all, I pray that your high and holy name would be lifted up, magnified, and that, Father, when we leave here, we'll know we've met with you, heard from you, and obeyed you. Father, we we love you tonight. Uh, We love you because you first loved us. And every bit of this we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I've given special emphasis to that phrase concerning Peter. It says, Peter followed afar off. You know, as I read that, that phrase stuck in my mind. And I thought to myself, I wonder how many believers today are following Christ, but they're following Him afar off. You might say, preacher, what do you mean by that? I mean, they're going in the same direction that Christ wants them to go, but they're not really being led by Him. People are led by all manner of things today. People are led by preachers. They're led by denominations. They're led by quote-unquote Bible teachers. They're uh, led by family. They're led by friends. They're led by a lot of things. But the Bible says as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And I think it's vital that we understand that just because we are acting like a Christian does not mean that we are being led by the Spirit of God. The truth is there's a lot of people today that have learned to walk the walk and talk the talk. But that doesn't mean that they're following the Savior. We find in this passage that Peter was following the Lord, but he was following Him from a distance. And I thought to myself, you know, how many Christians live the Christian life without a prayer closet? 
They live the Christian life without Bible study time, devotional time, time they spend alone with God. They live the Christian life without ever seeking God's face about a matter. They just uh, take the path of the stock Christian answer, quote-unquote. You know what a stock uh, picture is or a stock item. That means run-of-the-mill. That means to be expected. And so many people live their Christian life never being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but merely choosing the road they expect the Lord would want them to take without ever finding out if that's really what He wants out of their life. You know, when you look at Peter's life at this uh, period of time, it, it's fascinating. This is probably the most turbulent time in Peter's life. And you find that if you study closely, that there was literally a spiritual battle taking place in his life. And Peter failed in many ways, and Peter was a uh, very extreme person, if I can use that terminology. Uh, he was the kind of guy that whenever uh, he was cold, he was ice cold. Whenever he was hot, buddy, he was on fire for God. And we find that through this trying time in Peter's life, that one of his greatest faults was that of following afar off. And I'd hope that tonight you'd examine your life and ask yourself this, how close am I to Christ? When was the last time I really had a conversation with God? Now, I don't mean that I got down on my knees and rattled off a few uh, prayer requests like a child writing a letter to Santa Claus, but when was the last time I really got in connection with heaven, got alone with God and heard from Him? I believe too many Christians are leaving that kind of Christian life behind. I want to notice a few things this passage, and I'm going to try not to be lengthy. Uh, but I, I'd, I'd want to notice, first off, where does the desire to follow afar come from? You know, you would think Christ in John chapter number 15, which, uh, by the way, just took place, I mean, moments before this happened. Literally, when they left the upper room and are traveling down to the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ is unveiling to them some of the greatest scriptural truths in all of the Holy Scriptures. He's unveiling the uh, discourse about the true vine and uh, unveiling some more things about the Holy Spirit, the comforter that we have. And He had just spoken uh, to the disciples about the importance of being close to Him. He used terms like abiding with me and abiding in me and me abiding in you and us abiding in the Father. And he spoke of how they were to love him and to show that love through keeping his commandments. But all these things fell on deaf ears when it came to Peter. Peter made a choice. And I'd like to say first off that whenever we do follow afar off, when we let our relationship with Christ slip, when we get distant from God, it is a choice that we make. There is a desire to do that. And I want us to notice a few things. I want to say, first off, that the desire to follow afar off comes from our foe. Now, look with me at verse number 31. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Now, this is earlier on, before this has taken place. He says, Simon, Simon. By the way, that's the carnal name for Peter. That's his old name. Uh, he's not calling him Peter. He's not even calling him Cephas. But he's referring to him as his carnal name, denoting that Peter was in the flesh at the moment. He says, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, you might look at that passage and say, well, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean when Christ says that Satan desired to sift him as wheat? But we have the explanation in the next two verses. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter... The cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Uh, now, we know that later on in this passage, we're going to look at it here in a few moments, that uh, Peter would go on to deny our Lord three times. It was in relation to this event that Christ made these statements. He said, Peter, Satan is desiring to destroy you. Uh, that word sift, most of us know, and most of you women that have done some cooking, you know what sifting is when you put something in a sifter. 
what do you do? You shake it back and forth. And you're trying to separate that which you want to keep from that which you want to throw away. What he was literally saying is, uh, Peter, Satan's going to grab hold of you and shake you. But when he does this, it's going to cause some of the things in your life that need to be gone to go away. It's going to leave that which is pure. In a sense, when it's speaking about the wheat, uh, Satan's going to shake you and the chaff will leave, but the wheat will stay. It's going to have a purifying effect in your life. But the thing that I find interesting is that Satan had a direct desire to cause Peter to draw away from the Lord. You know, I think we sometimes forget that, that Satan has a desire to see us get further away from God. You might say, well, preacher, why would Satan desire such a thing? If you have to ask that question, uh, certainly the reason why is because the Lord or Satan knows that our strength is not found in ourselves. We have no ability to withstand Satan, none whatsoever. You say, well, we're suited with the whole armor of God, and we, with the shield of faith, quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. But faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The only way that we have faith in our life is through the Word of God and through our relationship with Christ. And Satan knew that if he could get Peter to draw away from the Lord, that he could ensnare him. I think it would behoove all of us to consider this, that when our relationship with Christ dwindles, Satan is waiting in the wings. He knows he's got an opportunity. It's amazing to me. There's two times when Satan is after you the most, when you're at your highest and when you're at your lowest. When you're serving God the most and when you're serving God the least. When you're in a middle area, sometimes Satan is willing to let you drift along for a while. And you might say, preacher, why does Satan do that? Two reasons. You see, when you're at your highest serving God, he knows that you're only going to go upwards. And that is going to be the best opportunity, foreseeably, that he's going to have to trip you up. Well, why does he get after us when we're at our lowest? Because he's hoping to utterly crush us and discourage us. Satan is very cunning, he's very smart, he's very deceptive. And the Bible tells us to be, uh, to be careful and to be vigilant and to be wise concerning the wiles of the devil. So we see Satan has a desire to make us withdraw from Christ in our relationship. Let me tell you what Satan wants to do to your home. He wants to destroy that prayer closet that you've got. That's what he wants to do. Wherever that secret place is that you get alone with God, where you pray, where you meet with the Lord, uh, have you ever noticed that sometimes that can be the most distracting place in your whole home? Have you ever noticed when you get in there, then all of a sudden the kids or the grandkids or the telephone or the dog or something starts making noise? Why is that? Because the devil's trying to get you away from that prayer clause. Have you ever noticed how difficult it is to study the Word of God when you've actually got an opportunity to do it? Have you ever noticed you'll sit there and you'll hear the preacher preach or you'll hear the Sunday school teacher teach and something will, uh, will strike in your mind. You'll think, boy, I'm going to jot that down. Later on, I, I want to go home. I want to check that out. I want to read that. There's something to that. And then you get home and you open your Bible and it's like you're staring at blank pages. Satan's trying to distract you from growing closer to Christ. So we see that the foe wanted uh, Peter to follow afar off. But let me say secondly that sometimes our friends try to keep us from following close to Christ. Look with me again at the passage and look down at verse number 54 where we left off. It says, Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house and Peter followed afar off. It says, And when they... Now, who's they? You notice it doesn't really tell us who they is. We could uh, surmise that it's speaking about the soldiers. It's speaking about the people that, uh, some of the people that helped take Christ and draw him away from the garden, take him captive. But it doesn't really say who they, it just says they took him. And then it says they kindled a fire. Now, this wasn't Peter's crowd. I want you to note that. Peter's crowd had scattered whenever Christ had been taken. 
This is another crowd. But look what happens. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. Now, I want you to picture in your mind. Use your imagination for a little while. We've got uh, some people with uh, a few years on us. It might be a little while since you used your imagination. But use your imagination as Peter goes through that hall. And it's cold. And it could have been raining that night. We don't know. But uh, no doubt if they had a fire built, it was because they needed a fire built. And he's walking through that hall and Christ is being led away. And Peter has every intention of following him. Even though he's following him afar, he has every intention of going straight to the cross with Him. You say, Peter didn't have that intention. That's what he said in verse 33. He said, I'll go with you to death. Peter said, I'm going. I'm following Him to the cross. Then all of a sudden, he feels the warmth of that fire and he sees the flicker against the wall. And I can just imagine those fellows said, Peter! They didn't know who he was, but they said, Sir, it's cold tonight. Why don't you come sit around the fire? It's more comfortable there. You know, let me make a statement. You've heard me make it before. It's nothing new. But our comfort zone is a graveyard in our spiritual walk. If it's been a good long while since you've had to do something uncomfortable for the cause of Christ, chances are you're not growing as a Christian. Serving God is not an easy thing. Now, we have all the help of the Lord. We have the Holy Spirit within us. Uh, We're insufficient, but God's our sufficiency. But note that it's going to be an uncomfortable thing to serve God. We've fallen into this pattern today. And I'll tell you, one of the things that grieves me the most is we're teaching a young generation of kids this same principle, that church is an extracurricular activity that you schedule into your life. Isn't that what we're teaching our kids today? I mean, and I don't, I don't sling this at anyone in here. Most of us don't have kids in here. We have grandkids and things of that sort. But it amazes me. I've heard people give all kinds of excuses for letting their kids miss church. I've heard people say, well, my kids would be here, but they're at dance class. <laughs> you know? My kids would be here, but they're, they're at ball practice. My kids would be here, but they're at... What are we teaching our children? We're teaching them that church is good when you can pencil it in. But if it can't be done, it just can't be done, and it's okay. We find that it's going to take some sacrifice to follow Christ close. It doesn't take much sacrifice to follow Him afar off. In fact, when Peter was following Him afar off, there was a crowd that wanted Him to stay far away. And I promise you, in your Christian walk, God will all, or Satan will always make sure there's people around you that will pull you away from Christ. We see it in the life of young people a lot. You know, we focus on it with young people. Uh, you know, this is a world that's run by adults, amen? And so kids get picked on quite a bit. They just do. And we say about kids all the time, well, they're going to fall in with the wrong crowd. But you know, I've seen adults do that just as quickly. And let me say that there will always be a wrong crowd near in your life. There will always be a group of people that want to pull you out of church. Always, and sometimes it's unintentional. Let me ask you, how many of you have found yourself in this position before? How many of you have found yourself in the position 30 minutes before church time? There comes your neighbor knocking on your door. Hey, just wanted to come and visit with you for a little while. Here comes the family. Hey, just wanted to come and see you for a few minutes. They know it's church time. They know it's time to go to God's house. They're not intentionally trying to pull you away. But that's the deception of Satan. You see, he never tries to put the ugliest and meanest and cruelest and most hateful right before you. Uh, But he knows how to make them appear as an angel of light. 
people with innocence in their eyes and in their heart that mean no harm. But if you're not careful, those people will pull you afar off from the Lord. Let me say there's a third thing. Look at verse number 58. It says, And after a little while another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after another confidently affirmed, saying of a truth, This fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. Now, maybe one time it could have been unintentional. Maybe one time he misheard what somebody said. Now, we know he intentionally denied Christ three times. But let's say, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Just use our imagination. Maybe one time he just accidentally didn't know what was being said. You ever had someone ask you something and you didn't hear what they said until about ten seconds after they said it? You ever had that happen? That happens to me all the time. My wife will say something to me and I'll say, what did you say? And she'll start to say it and I'll finish her sentence and she gets aggravated. She says, you heard me. No, your mind plays tricks on you like that, doesn't it? You'll hear it, but you don't hear it. It takes, takes a slow mind a little time to catch up with fast words sometimes. Uh, but uh, maybe one time it was uh, inadvertent. Maybe the second time... Uh, he just was a little fearful. The third time, he cursed. He actively, intentionally sinned. Not only in denying our Lord, but in doing it by swearing an oath. What happened? Well, we see that it comes from our foe, the desire to follow afar off. It comes from our friends. But let me say that the desire to follow afar off comes from our flesh. It is not natural for the carnal man to walk with God. I read it again today, Amos 3, three. Can two walk together except they be agreed? But the Bible says that the carnal mind is at enmity with God. What does that mean? It means literally that your flesh is an enemy of God. Your flesh has declared war, is standing on the battlefield with God on the other side. Your flesh hates God. Your flesh hates anything to do with God. And so we have a decision to make. It was the comfort of the fire that kept Peter close at first. But eventually it was fear. What if they find out who I am? What if they find out that I really am one of his disciples? What if they find out that I'm really one of them? So he said, no, it's not me. That probably felt good for a little while. You know, sin hath pleasure for a season. It probably felt good for a little while. But what are the dangers of following afar off? We've seen the desire of it, but what are the dangers? I want you to notice that first off it brought fear. I'm struck in Acts 4.13 by this verse. You've heard it, but listen carefully. Now, when they saw the boldness of who? Peter and John. And perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. It did not say they had learned at His feet. It did not say they knew of His principles. It did not say they were baptized in His name. But it says because they had been with Jesus, they had boldness. Let me tell you, in, in the day that we live in, boldness does not come from the pulpit. It may manifest in the pulpit, but boldness comes from the prayer closet. Boldness does not come from your attitude with co-workers or your attitude with family. Boldness comes from one place in the life of a believer, and that is the prayer closet. That's the only place. You can always tell a man that's spent no time with God because he lacks a holy boldness about the things that he says and the things that he does. He cannot live deliberately for he does not have the power of an omnipotent God on his side. And in Peter's life, this was a man, I mean, this was a man that just drew his sword. 
and cut off a man's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane. And by the way, uh, you know, fishermen aren't too handy with swords. I don't think Peter was aiming for Malchus's ear. I think he was aiming for his head. I think Malchus stood in between Peter and Judas. <laughs> and I think Peter was swinging for his head. This was a man that was ready to go to war for the Lord. But you know, a lot of times it's a lot easier to die for him than it is to live for him. And just because we're willing to make a snap decision, that does not mean that we are willing to take a stand for Him day after day after day. And when it came down, when the rubber met the road, Peter failed. Why did he fail? He was fearful. He was fearful because he hadn't been following close with God. You know what happens in a believer's life? We get earthly minded. When we're not praying, when we're not studying, when we're not spending time with Christ, we get earthly minded. We get focused on the things of this world. The only way that a person can have boldness is if they're heavenly minded, if they're eternally minded. What was it that gave uh, Elijah his boldness? I like Elijah. Man, I love Elijah. I study about Elijah. And, I, and it wasn't just, I mean, I know I joke he was a hairy man and I'm sure he had a magnificent beard. And that says something about a man just in and of itself. But I, I, like, I like Elijah's attitude. We don't know anything about Elijah. You know, you know the biography of Elijah in the Word of God? Elijah the Tishbite. That's all we know about Elijah. And then we have the first time he walks onto the scene. He walks onto God's holy pages into the palace of, uh, of Ahab and he declares that it's not going to rain for the space of three and a half years. Where did he get that boldness? Well, he didn't get that boldness from the Tishbites. He didn't get that boldness from his family. Where do you think Elijah had been all that time? He had been spending time with God. Elijah was a prophet. He had been being prepared for that very day. Elijah was evidently used to the wilderness. God sent him out to the brook Kidron. And, uh, there he sat and God provided the food for him by the raven's mouth. And God provided for him during that famine in the land. And he spent time with God. Where did he get the boldness to stand on Mount Carmel and face down a million Israelites and say, to choose you this day whom ye will serve? Where did he get that boldness? He got it from the time spent with God. When we follow afar off, it gives us fear. But God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. But we see, secondly, that it, it not only brings fear, but it brings failure. We've read it, but look again at verse number 61. It says, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Boy, Peter had messed up. That's about the only way to put it. He had failed the Lord. Let me say that when we follow afar off from the Lord, we fail Him every single time. Uh, Christ made this statement in John 15, 5. He said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And then one of the most important phrases, I believe, in the entire Word of God, and most Christians still haven't learned it, for without me ye can do nothing. We can't even do the most basic things without the help of Christ. I'll tell you exactly why we fail in our Christian life. Because we try in the power of our own flesh and our own determination to live the Christian life to such a standard that we then think God will help us to do great things. Let me tell you how the Christian life is to be lived. Every single day in the presence and power of God, even to do the most simple things even to keep a steady prayer life, even to study our Bible and learn of it, even to take a basic stand, even to share the gospel that takes the power of God. We can't do that in our flesh and have any kind of success, let alone make great stands for God. 
It brought failure in Peter's life. The failure didn't begin uh, whenever he stopped by the fire. The failure began when he started following afar off. And you'll find most men's failures in life trace a lot further back before the initial failure that most men mark them for. It starts further back. It starts... You look at David's life. Uh, David's sin did not begin when he laid with Bathsheba. David's sin began whenever he refused to go out to battle and lead the nation. That was where it began. It did not begin when he laid with Bathsheba. Now, certainly that was sin. I'm not minimizing that. But I'm saying you can trace the root of it back a lot farther than that. And on and on we could go through the Word of God through different men whose lives began with some, their failure began with some secret, almost insignificant sin in the minds of humanity. An insignificant sin. Following, but following afar off. So we see that it brings fear and failure, but let me say that it brings fretting. Look at verse 62. And Peter went out, boy, this is sad, and wept bitterly. I wish we could get the full import of what that passage really means. Uh, I, just those words, he wept bitterly. How many of you, and I won't ask you to raise your hands, but think in your life at times that you've wept bitterly. You've not just been sad, but you've wept to such a degree that even your weeping did not bring any consolation. You know, there's times in our life, and certainly we see this with little children. You know, every once in a while, a little child, if they don't need anything else, they just need to cry. You know, every once in a while, they just need to cry. And uh, I found out ladies are like that sometimes, amen? And uh, I know some men that are like that, amen? But uh, just cry for the sake of crying. Sometimes if you're heavy-hearted, weeping and crying out is something that will console you. But he wept till his weeping was bitter. He wept in such a way that nothing could console him. Uh, Listen, uh, there's no one in the world more unhappy than a Christian out of the will of God. You won't find a lost man more miserable than a Christian that's out of the will of God. We are designed, whenever we're born again, we're born with a need for Christ in our daily life. And if that's not fulfilled, it's going to cause sorrow. Peter knew he had done wrong. He knew he had sinned. I like where the Bible says that the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Indicative of the fact that both in our victories and in our failures, God is aware of them. And can't you imagine the look that was given him? He knew he had messed up. He was crushed. Maybe you're here tonight. There's more of the message. Don't get excited. But maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, you know, that's me. I've not followed God like I ought to. Maybe there's been something in your life, some way that you failed Him. Nobody knows about but you. But there's something in your life. You failed Him in a way that you wouldn't share with anyone. What hope is there? We see there's a deliverance from following afar off. And I want you to notice a few things. I want to say, first off, that Peter had to be corrected. Uh, That was what the weeping bitterly was. He had to be humbled. You see, it's pride that causes us to follow afar off from God because we think we can do it on our own. Peter was showed he couldn't do it on his own. He was humbled. And it's no surprise then that Peter was the one God chose to pin down the words, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and He will exalt you in due time. You have to recognize that you're doing wrong before you'll ever quit doing wrong. I'll tell you why a lot of people never repent of their sin is because they refuse to see their sin as something worth repenting over. They refuse to see their sin as something that's wrong. They won't repent over it because it's not as bad as the next guy's. When sin is sin is sin is sin. Let me say secondly, not only was he corrected, turn with me to Mark chapter 16. I want to say that he was called. Now this blesses my heart. Boy, I've read this so many times and this thought comes often back to my mind. Uh, You know, there's a lot of people that have messed up pretty bad in the Word of God. Uh, And, you know, Christians too, sometimes especially Christians. 
Now, what does God do with people like that? Look at Mark chapter number 16. In all this time, who knows the heartache that Peter had been going through? This is an account of the story of the crucifixion as past, and Christ has been buried and resurrected the third day. And in all this time, I'm sure Peter, who did not believe yet that he would raise from the dead, the Bible says that he hadn't believed yet that he would raise from the dead. Don't you know that Peter was filled with remorse? He knew he had done wrong. He knew he had sinned. What was God's response? Look at verse number 1. It says, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. They said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Look at verse 7. But go your way and tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, as he said unto you. Boy, aren't you thankful, even though Peter had messed up. Uh, some look at this passage and they think, oh, well, Christ was saying he wasn't one of his disciples any longer. I don't believe that for one second. Because Peter maintained his position as an apostle even after our Lord uh, ascended up into heaven. He was the apostle to the Jews, the apostle to the circumcision. No, I believe that what God was doing... You know, when we're at our lowest, you know what God does? Let me tell you what man does when we're at our lowest. When we're at our lowest, man rises a little higher to make themselves feel better. When we're at our lowest, man puffs themselves up, stands on their tiptoes, and looks down at it. You know what God does when we're at our lowest? He just reaches a little lower. He just reaches. He, he reaches a little lower than He did for the other disciples. He didn't say the other disciples' names. He said, go and tell my disciples and Peter. What was He doing? Peter was a little lower, so He reaches a little lower for him. You know, if you're in that kind of situation tonight, and you know there's areas of your life that you need to be closer to Christ in. You say, what will God say when I talk to Him? I'll tell you exactly what He'll do. He'll reach a little lower for you. He knows that you need Him to reach a little lower. We see that Peter was corrected and he was called. And I'm not going to take the time to read it, but I'll tell it to you. Uh, you can read it on your own time in John chapter 20 and verses 19 through 21. I want to say that he was comforted. Uh, there they were gathered afraid in the upper room. They had locked the door. They were trying to lock the world out. And they were trying to lock their fears out, but they didn't know who they were locking out in trying to do that. But you know, you can't really lock the Lord out. He goes where He pleases. And Christ came through the door, materialized through the door in His glorified body. And He looked at the disciples there, and Peter was there. And I've always imagined that He looked at Peter. You won't find that. You don't, don't look for it. You'll tear your concordance to pieces trying to find it. But, but I've always imagined that He looked at Peter. And He said these words. He said, Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. What was he saying? He was coming to his disciples. And in a sense, if we were to say it today, we'd say, everything's all right. Everything's all right. You say, but the Bible doesn't record Peter repenting. Well, certainly Peter repented. We see a complete change in his attitude. And what do you think it means when the Bible says, when thou art converted? It wasn't saying, Peter, when you're saved, that word converted literally means to be turned around, to be transitioned, to be changed. What Christ was saying is, Peter, you're about to wander far away from me. But when you return, strengthen the breath. When you come back to me, when our relationship is on good terms, when you've repented and turned back towards me, strengthen the brethren. He had come back to the Lord. 
Uh, boy, aren't you thankful the Lord doesn't hold things against us? Boy, I tell you, it, you know, the Bible says, if thou shouldest mark iniquities, Lord, who shall, who shall stand? Who shall stand? I'm thankful that when we do wrong, when we sin, if we come to God and ask Him by the blood of Christ to forgive that sin, He just takes it, tosses it behind His back, throws it in the sea of God's forgetfulness, parts it as far away as the east is from the west, puts it on that scapegoat, sends it out into the wilderness, never to be remembered anymore. Boy, I've already been blessed. Oh, my. Whenever the Bible says that God puts it in, uh, casts our iniquities into the sea, that's what it says. Boy, I always like there in the book of Revelation, you turn over there, and a lot of things on the new heaven, new earth, but you'll find the Bible says there's no more sea. Why is there no more sea? He took our sins and cast them into the depths of it. And He said, it's not good enough that they be removed from my uh, vision. It's not good enough that they be removed from my presence. I want them to be removed from my existence. I want them gone. I'm thankful if you've messed up tonight, if you've sinned. Maybe it's not anything in your life that you could put your finger on and say, this I've done wrong, but you know you're not as close to Christ as you ought to be. Can I exhort and encourage you tonight in saying that God's ready to help you get back close to Him? That's all it takes. It doesn't take a 12-step program. All it takes is one step towards the Lord. Uh, one step towards Him, a step away from your sin. Call on the Lord. Uh, you don't need to be resaved, uh, but you do need to repent if that's where you're at. God will forgive you, comfort you, call you. Uh, he'll do everything in your life that you need Him to do tonight. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed,